The do choir. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Uh, good evening, everybody. Welcome the do choir to church. And uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. We'll begin with prayer. Let's thank God for the opportunity to sit and relax and behold His Word, uh, to be taught by Him through the Scripture, and to be rejoicing in the truth that we get to share. And and always remember that the truth is given to us for application, so it's important not just to know it academically, but to incorporate it into our souls so that we're ready to be changed by it. Uh, And so with that, let's pray. Our great Father in heaven, thank you for another day in your gracious world. Even though it doesn't, the world isn't filled with your kingdom yet, yet, the world is filled with those who are members of your kingdom. And you have made us such by the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your Son, who you gave to us. He who was rich became poor, and through him you have made us who are poor, were poor, you have made us rich. The riches of Christ are the most important things in the world, and they are the only things that lead to life. Uh, We often get distracted, Father, by other things that we think are life, and uh, we are corrected. We're corrected by our own misery. At times we need your discipline. We're also corrected by the, the reminder that comes from your word. And so, Father, we ask that through your word we would learn more about the, the wonderful opportunity of prayer, the method of prayer, and the fruit of prayer, and so that you would guide us by your spirit in more and deeper understanding. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, tonight's lesson is a bit different. Uh, than what we're normally used to. Uh, We're going to take some advice from two uh, of the more influential theologians in history, and that is Augustine, or Augustine if you prefer, and Luther. Uh, I want to first temper this with the statement that I don't hold to the words or ways of men. I don't hold Luther's words as gospel When he speaks of the gospel, absolutely, but uh, they do not have the authority of Scripture, no matter how great thinkers they are uh, or theologians. However, learning from others is fruitful. Uh, As long as they're communicating the truth from Scripture, they bring us years of experience and years of study, uh, years of learning that we haven't invested in. Uh, and have learned, they have learned the truth to a level of understanding that they can present it in their own way. And that's not a different way or a different doctrine. It's just their view, again, not different, but things that perhaps we haven't thought of. I should also say that I don't agree with everything that these theologians teach. I am glad to have known them I am glad for what I do know. Uh, It's not a a whole great deal, but 
uh, they have already taught me as teachers, but I've also learned from them that um, they have developed uh, their own doctrines out of biases and experiences uh, that have ventured outside the revealed scripture. And uh, that's always a good lesson to, to learn from that because all of us have biases. All of us have uh, things in our background that we carry with us that are hard to let go of, uh, experiences that might get us to go astray. Uh, but <clears throat> if we stay grounded in the scripture, we'll be all right. When I came across these two, now both uh, Augustine and Luther, what we know about them in their doctrine of prayer all comes from letters they wrote to people, uh, their actual personal letters. Uh, when it comes to Calvin, which we might look at him a little bit, uh, he wrote in his Institutes the doctrine of prayer. But uh, Augustine and Martin Luther did not. Uh, when I came across this in the reading of research I was doing, I kind of was like, oh, I don't want to read this. But I soldiered on. You know, you, you shouldn't just throw something out. Maybe there's something in there that you would learn. And I was pleasantly surprised and, and actually have applied some of their method with great success. And that's why I want to share it with you tonight. Uh, <clears throat> first off, as a reminder, prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God has begun with us. Uh, God started this with the gospel. God started this conversation with his love towards you. And uh, this whole conversation that we have with God throughout our entire lives is based upon his character. Uh, and <clears throat> that, <clears throat> excuse me, that character he's revealing through his word. And nowhere else. And uh, both Augustine, Luther, also Calvin, and, and all the other people that I'm learning about prayer from, uh, Marcus Dodds does an awesome job on the Lord's Prayer, uh, and many others. Timothy Keller has a great book. Uh, J.I. Packer has a great book. That um, <clears throat> they and Colonel Theme, I've gone through all of his notes. That when they're basing everything on Scripture, even the prayer, and even like in prayer, if you get revelation of something, which is something that Luther really speaks a lot about, which I think is overlooked is that silent time in prayer, you, in a way, hear something uh, while you're praying, and that very well could be, if it's based on Scripture, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, teaching you, in fact. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, the, this conversation with God has to continue as we reach ahead to try and understand his word and understand him. Prayer is an essential part of that. As I was praying today, I, I had this in mind that this is me and God alone. It's not me, God, and the Bible. That, that's necessary. But this is different. Prayer is not Bible study. Prayer is you and God. And Jesus said this. Go into your inner room and pray to your Father in secret. And he will reward you in secret. The reward is discovering him. The reward is discovering and living and experiencing a personal relationship with him on a day-by-day -day basis in which <clears throat> the, the character of God is on the forefront of your mind in everything that you do. And that you, you find, and this takes time and maturity, of course, but you find yourself 
desiring to do things to glorify him in everything that you do. Every conversation you have, every dealing with a person is unto him. But it doesn't mean you're not focusing or thinking about that person. You totally are. But with Jesus Christ, you know, with the Lord between you and them. And knowing that this life is not about you, but it's about him. And prayer is that intimate time from from which uh, <clears throat> I, I don't think a personal relationship that is uh, one that is fruitful in life can be had. We're commanded to pray. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, can you say it's a lesser command than thou shalt not kill? You know, of course not. Uh, we're told to pray without ceasing by Paul in Ephesians 6. He told the Thessalonians, uh, yeah, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, I think it's verse 18, continually pray. And it's a command. So in the theology of prayer, the character of prayer is determined by the character of God, and we're reaching for that. And so in prayer, we're seeking him out. I mean, even when we're petitioning for others, we're seeking God out. So what, when I when I read these letters, I was actually pleasantly su- surprised. Uh, in the uh, Augustine of Hippo is the first. Uh, Hippo is the place where he lived in northern Africa. He's a long time ago now, 354 to 430 A.D. I think he became converted to Christianity in 384 A.D. He's considered the doctor of the church to the Catholics but his works were greatly, <clears throat> I'm sorry, his works greatly influenced the reformers, uh, meaning Calvin and Luther, Zwigli and, and the rest. Uh, <clears throat> what we know about his point of view of prayer, as I said, is founded a letter to a friend who was struggling to pray. And they, this, it was a woman who asked Augustine, could he help her to pray? So we'll go through this. Um, and look, this is, this helped me, but I did not, and both of them say this. Luther says it clearly. Don't mimic me, right? This is, this is what works for me. But what works for him, especially Luther, which I liked the most, what works for him was to get him to focus. And all of us have to do that. The number one problem in prayer is losing your focus. It's got to be. <clears throat> right? You, you pray for somebody and then you're like, think of that somebody. And then you think of what they did. And then you think about an event. And then that leads to this. And, the, and it, you know, God's a million miles away. Uh, and that's what this gets to. And both of them are along this path is get your heart right before you pray. And so Augustine says, get your hearts, loves, and orders. Now, I had fun with the pictures. So you're going to see a lot of paintings, <laughs> no photographs, uh, but especially of Augustine. Um, but anyway, th- those are just fun. Okay, so he said, you must account yourself desolate in this world, however great the prosperity of your lot may be. That's a direct quote from him. Get your heart's loves in order. And what he says here, and which is true from Scripture, is that without God, what we love is disordered. Uh, what we have as our top love should always be God. 
Our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father, Holy Spirit. That's our number one love. At times, though, we we get those things out of order. Uh, For the unbeliever, they're all out of order. Things that we ought to love third or fourth are first. Now, details of life. Some people, I mean, Christians, they love their kids more than they love God. That's wrong. It doesn't mean you hate your kids. It means that they need to be, as Jesus said, if you love father, mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. And that's what Augustine is getting here at here. So, for example, <clears throat> you know, if if someone may acknowledge, but, sorry, uh, God whom we should love supremely is someone we may acknowledge as, yeah, I, I should love God first. But actually what I love first is prosperity, success, status, love, pleasure. For example, if we look at our financial prosperity as our main focus of safety and confidence in life, and when our, we- when our wealth is in grave jeopardy, then we cry out to God for help, but our prayers are a little more than worrying to God. We're not actually communicating with God about anything that's real. We're saying, look, God, the thing I love most is slipping away. And I'm a wreck. Can you fix it? And of course, if God, if you could hear him audibly, he would likely say, I'm the one who drove it away. Uh, So then, step two, and they put these in order, both of them, which I think is great. Now you can begin to pray. Once your heart is in order, what, what does he mean by that? That your first love is God. Then you can begin to pray. So he says, pray for what? And directly from him, he says, pray for a happy life. Which is interesting, because I could not find one happy picture of Augustine. He looks miserable in every single one of them. But they're paintings, you know. You're a Renaissance painter. You're not going to paint Augustine with a big old toothy smile on his face. So... So, uh, getting back to principle number one, then you have to ask yourself, well, what's going to bring a happy life? This is all paraphrasing his letter. What will bring a happy, happy life? Yes, pray for a happy life, but what will bring that? And that gets back to his first principle. None of us are happy unless we put God first. No, we are not happy unless we put God first. He is your first love. And in prayer, whether we're practicing or not, at least we can recognize in prayer, and as the Lord taught us to pray, it's Father first, not us, Father, that we realize that comforts, rewards, and pleasures in themselves only give fleeting excitement and fleeting happiness. And then Augustine quotes Psalm 27, verse 4. And we can read it. One thing I have asked from the Lord, says David, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. How many things? In verse 4, one thing. In the first line, one thing I have asked of the Lord. Not two things. One thing. That I shall seek you. And we're going to have a lesson on using prayer to seek God's face. Because that's a phrase that David uses. And that's also a phrase that God said to Moses, you can't see my face. And that's also a phrase that Paul uses in Corinthians 
that we now, because the veil has been torn, we can see his face. So one thing I have asked. I add to this, uh, Augustine didn't put this in his letter, but I add in Luke 10, uh, the Lord says, Martha, Martha, you're so worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which was to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to him. Uh, And so this fundamental prayer for happiness in Psalm 27 from a mind is is has to be from a mind that uh, that the spirit has cleansed from illusions. Like what illusions? Uh, wealth is going to make me happy. Prosperity is going to make me happy. Pleasure is going to make me happy. Yeah, we can say these things. We know from scripture. No, those things don't make me happy. But do you really believe that? And that will bear itself, if you truly believe it, it the truth of that will bear itself in your behavior uh, and in your, in your thinking all the time. One thing I have asked from the Lord. See, the Spirit, through His Word and through our, our struggle to apply His Word, is going to cleanse our minds from the illusions that we all have. So we love God, therefore, this is uh, Augustine writes, or Augustine, we love God, therefore, for what he is in himself. And we love ourselves and our neighbors for his sake. We love God first and foremost, right? It's simple. It's the Shema of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And so we love God for what? For what he can give us? No. What if we're poor? Can you be a poor Christian and be happy? You better be. We're all commanded. It's one of the commands. Fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Love, joy, peace. We're all to have it. So then Augustine cites Proverbs 30. This one's important. Go to Proverbs 30. Well, they're all important. Proverbs 30, verse 7. Uh, Verse 7, two things I asked of thee. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty or riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. So two things I have asked. Keep deception and lies from me. Don't give me too much or too little. Those are the two things. Lest I be full and deny thee and say who is the Lord. Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. This is essentially the prayer that, or the petition that Jesus taught us, give us today our daily bread. But you must understand what it means. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to understand it. Are we, is it just about bread? Actually, no. It's about everything. Give us today our daily bread is about every desire that you have. And God is going to give you a certain allotment to that desire. And whatever he gives you, that is your portion. 
whether it's bread, whether it's wealth, whether it's pleasure, whether it's health, whether it's looks, whether it's uh, friends, whether it's marriage, whatever you get, that is your allotment. So the prayer is, and the writer of Psalms in God's wisdom book here says, don't give me too much or too little. And then he explains it. Because if I have too much, I will deny the Lord. I'll get absorbed with my prosperity. Now, what is that? how much does that mean? Well, it depends on the person. It depends on our capacity for things. And don't give me too little, or I might be in want and steal. So if our heart's loves are out of order, your prayer's intention will be, make me as wealthy and, possible, uh, and comfortable as possible. Right? Give us today our daily bread. In other words, Lord, what I want is a lot of bread. My daily bread from you, Lord, better be a lot. Instead of my daily desires from you, Lord, are exactly right in the portion that you have given me. You see how smart the Lord is? See, prior to giving us the Lord's Prayer, he said he gave us a, a number of ways not to pray. And one of them was, don't think you'll be heard by, your, by your, uh, a, a, having a lot of words. And, and don't be like those who pray in, out in the open and they want you know, people to notice them. What do they want? They want earthly things. They want the praise of people. They want stuff. And they want more of it. Look, we all know if you're into approbation lust, that's all you want is more and more and more. Let's look at any A-list Hollywood actor. <laughs> all they want is more and more and more. They can't get enough. But see, the Lord tells us, look, be content with what you have. And what will this do? Set us free. Right? So Augustine understands this. If our hearts' loves are out of order, and we be, you know, you can't. And, and when you're praying with God, this is, and they're both both uh, theologians are going to tell us, pray whether you feel like it or not. Be sure of that, because you're going to discover things about yourself that you wouldn't ordinarily. If my loves are out of order, then I'm going to be asking for God to make me as wealthy and comfortable as possible. Ultimately, we don't need things. What do we need? We need the Lord, His presence in our everyday life. Like Martha, we get easily so distracted and think that the wrong things are the most important things. And this can happen in a minute. You know, Martha is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. She's a spiritual woman. But she easily gets distracted by things. You know, it's Martha who says, when Jesus says, remove the stone, that He's going to call forth Lazarus. After he tells her, he says, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe. I know you are the Son of God. And he says, all right, move the stone. And Martha goes, but he'll stink. You, you know. So Martha has this, <laughs> this thing about her that gets her distracted quickly. We all have it in our, in our own way. We get so easily distracted and think the wrong things are the most important things. And then we start concluding that the reason that we're miserable is because the oven won't heat evenly. The store was out of carrots. That's a supply chain issue. 
And then you blame the Democrats. Our money is too tight and we can't afford the best ingredients for the meal because we spent all our money on gasoline. And then you blame the Democrats. And then for God's sakes, Jesus, tell Mary to help. She won't help me at all. What is it? You, you've, you've put the wrong things at the top of your list. And you think because of those things that that's the reason you're miserable and they need to be fixed. So you go to God. You Actually, Martha, in a way, has, has given a, a very aggressive prayer to Jesus. Tell her to help me. And because you made the wrong things important, you gave them your love instead of dedicating your love to God where it should be. So you naturally concluded that they were the source of your misery. But the problem isn't the oven or the gasoline or the carrots or the supply chain or the politics or the government or your husband or your wife or your health or your wealth. None of those things. It's you. You're the problem. And that's what he says to Martha. Now, in prayer, we're going to figure that out. So what does Jesus put in there in the fifth petition? Forgive us our sins and our debts because we have them every day. Right? We're forgiven by the blood of Christ. We know this. But in the prayer we are reminded that we every day have sin to confess. And there's a bunch of sins that we don't even know we've done. How could we even calculate them? Hundreds maybe. Thousands. Stray thought here. Stray thought there. Things you were supposed to do that you didn't do. They just passed you by. Are we forgiven though? (laughs) There's the glorious thing. Yeah, we are. Completely, utterly, fully forgiven. But in confession, we find our humility. And I came across this wonderful quote. You know, I'd always like to throw in because I'd like to give you a, a fine classical education here at Grace and Truth Ministries. And uh, Shakespeare wrote in Julius Caesar, as Cassius says to Brutus, Cassius does not want Caesar to ascend to power. And he says to Brutus, he says, the fault, dear Brutus, sorry, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. In other words, in our stars meant fate. Brutus was saying, you know, that that, uh, Caesar was fated to become the emperor. And Cassius was trying to convince him. It's not fate. All right, We we can stop this. Anyway, what we have in the Lord is infinitely more valuable. And the reality of what we have in the Lord is the only source of happiness. So Augustine's third... Uh, directive is both comprehensive and practical. So once we get uh, first our loves in order and then we pray for a happy life knowing what a happy life really is and then he says study the Lord's Prayer. And both of them will do this. Uh, speak about this. Once you have made yourself aware of the distorted, disordered, not dis, well, distorted works, the disordered state of your heart and determine where the true joy is found, you can be guided into the specifics of how to pray by studying the Lord's Prayer. I am more and more convinced the more work I do in this, 
um, that the Lord's Prayer was given to us to hang all our prayers on. Uh, Each of those petitions would apply to hundreds and hundreds of situations, desires, wants, uh, needs that we have. Endlessly. And I, I know and if, you're, if you're still of the, the mind that, I'm, I'm still, I don't, I don't know if you are, but if you are of the mind that it is not a prayer for us, that, that's your right. You know, you don't have to do what I tell you. I, I see no evidence in the scripture that that prayer should be thrown out. And the reason why most people throw it out, the ones who do, is the prayer to, you know, your kingdom come. And that we can't pray for that. But you also can't pray for the forgiveness of your sins. You also can't pray for, uh, you know, God the Father to be holy. You know, they're, they're, it's not meant. It's not meant for that. Uh, your kingdom come is an expression of your desire to have the kingdom of God extant in your own heart and in your world. Not, you know, you want, do you not want your, I can't get into this right now. I'm going to run out of time. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And then he finally, this is another fine picture of Augustine. Again, it, and I, <laughs> I picked this one. Again, these are all just paintings. I had a little fun with them, but it, you notice in this painting, uh, this was some Italian guy from the 1600s. I can't remember his name. But, uh, you know, he's, he's looking up to Jesus, and it looks like Mary standing right next to him, which is a very Catholic thing. Uh, but be that as it may, don't don't think that I think you know you should pray to Mary because of the picture. But anyway, prayer during difficult times inevitably becomes confusing. And what does he mean by that? Is that should I pray for the pain to stop the tribulation? And we find ourselves wanting to do that, or should we pray for the strength to soldier on? And I, I, yeah, exactly. I would pick the second one that we pray for the strength to soldier on. We, we know from Scripture that we are uh, to persevere and that we're to have patience. It's our old friend Hupamone, is that we persevere and endure while we're in the pressure and we wait for God to relieve it. But is it wrong for you know us to say, like Paul said, remove the thorn in my flesh. That was a prayer to stop it. And God said no. But he prayed it. You know, so if you pray, you can. There's nothing, there's nothing in the Bible that says don't pray for that. But if you ask God to stop the tribulation or the suffering that you're going through and he says no, then you have to accept it, which is the point. Do you love God more than you love yourself? Gets us back to point one. Augustine then points <coughs> to Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane where it's perfectly balanced between desire let this cup pass from me. And Jesus is being very honest there. It's not sinful. He's honest. And then submission to God. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then he adds from Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit helps our weakness in prayer. So I don't know exactly, <clears throat> should I pray for this one or that one? And the Holy Spirit is helping you. Why, why is it that you don't always know which one to pray for? Because you're weak. Right? That's Paul's instruction, and well, Paul's uh, statement in, in Romans 8, 26. We're too weak to know how to pray exactly right, but the Holy Spirit is in every prayer helping us. <coughs> Excuse me. Now we turn to Martin Luther. 
Much, much later, for, uh, 1,300 years later, 1483 to 1546, he's considered the father of the Reformation. He's not the first reformer. Uh, there's a few before him, but uh, he's definitely the first very influential one. His most famous writing on prayer is also from a letter. And there is one painting of, it's not just one, but <clears throat> whereas I found many of Augustine in various states and places and the one of Luther, he always has this hat on and he always has that expression on his face, no matter who paints him. It's so funny. But uh, Luther says, first, make a habit of prayer. And his suggestion, first in the morning and last at night. Do you have to do that? No, because that's not from the Bible. It's a suggestion by someone who prayed when, and this is uh, stated by more than one witness that Luther was known to pray about three hours a day. Um, <clears throat> of course, he, he spent a great amount of his life as a monk. So, you know, most of us aren't monks. Uh, but <clears throat> make prayer a habit. What, what he means by this, too, is whether you feel like it or you don't. And I highly applaud that. Because if we sit around waiting to pray, it's like, what if you study the Bible only when you want to? Or read the scripture only when you want to? And you're not going to do it hardly at all. So, first, Luther counsels the cultivation of prayer as a habit. He says, uh, quote, it's a good thing to let prayer be the first business in the morning and the last at night. Guard yourselves against those false, deluding ideas which tell you, wait a little while. I will pray in an hour. First, I must attend to this or that. Don't do it. <clears throat> now, he's not just a, a romantic in this. He concludes, we are strictly, uh, quote, we are strictly and solemnly commanded to pray as, as in all the other commands, do not kill, do not steal, etc. So, he's saying pray, make it a habit, and do it even when you don't want to. However, then he continues, <coughs> focus and warm our thoughts and affections to God through meditation on Scripture. Now, this is a first for me that I had seen this, and it, this is something that I have been practicing. And it is delightful, in fact, and very wise. I mean, we're to learn the Scripture anyway, whether you do it right before you pray or at other parts of the day. But <clears throat> we also understand that, you know, if we just give the Bible a superficial reading or we hurry through a lesson and we're like, just kind of like people do in prayer, you know, I, I did my prayer and, you know, the duty is done. Or I did my Bible study for today, the duty is done. But do I really understand what these passages mean? I mean, they have meaning. The truth has a depth of meaning that is unfathomable. It doesn't mean that we can't understand it. It means that we'll always be learning it. Uh, what does it mean in these passages? And that's what Luther is getting at here. Luther proposes ways to focus our thoughts to warm and engage our affections for prayer. And this is a balancing truth to prayer as a duty. 
We should engage in prayer even when we don't feel like it. However, if we don't feel like it, a few minutes of reflection and meditation on the Scripture will have actually do quite a bit of work to change your heart, to get you focused. Man, the Word of God is alive and powerful. So <clears throat> Luther advises what he calls recitation to yourself. And again, I'm not giving you this so you can practice just what Luther does. I'm giving you this as a method that someone used who was really good at prayer and you know, had a, a, a very good and fruitful prayer life. And if we can glean anything from it, I, I, I know that you will, uh, whether you do it exactly his way or not. We've got to get focused. Instead of making prayer just uh, you know, something we do to get out of the way. That's not what it is. It's a conversation with God throughout the rest of your life. <clears throat> so recitation to yourself. Some part of scripture in the form of meditation. It's not a Bible study per se, but it's also not prayer per se. It's taking the words of scripture and pondering them in a way that your thoughts and feelings converge on God. And so it's a sort of bridge from the distractions of everyday life to focus on God and him alone, which Jesus said, in a room, you and God, close the door. You know, what does he mean by close the door? Everything else is out. You know, another part of this, we're going to see our Lord in his prayer life, and often he would take off, be on the mountain all by himself, because he didn't want distraction. And he has a perfect brain, and yet he went off by himself so he wouldn't be distracted by the crowds. So here it is. I couldn't fit a Luther picture on this, so I apologize for that. There's too much. Uh, first, med in meditation, pick a passage. Uh, I did this today in the passage I picked. I was like, yeah, I don't really want that one. So I kept reading on until I found one that kind of sparked a bit of delight in me. All right, so pick a passage. Find it. <clears throat> now, first, you have to know what it means. You can't meditate on something if you don't know what it means. So if you, if you pick a passage and you're like, I don't really know what this means, pick another one. Pick one that you know. Pick one that, you know, that kind of jazzes you right now. And find its revealed truth. And this is from Luther. This is not from me or the scripture. But, of course, we're to be thankful to God for everything. He puts this next. Thank God for this truth, for truth is a gift. Even if it's a command, promise, whatever it is, a narrative, a story about either David or Saul or Daniel, whoever. Uh, <clears throat> be thankful and then confess. And this makes sense. Not that he's saying, you know, just think up some sin. That's not what he means. He means in that passage, have you lived up to it? And who of us are going to say, oh, yeah, perfectly. Have you believed that promise always? And, and I think in this way, in Luther's way, again, you don't have to do it this way. He's making himself humble before the passage. Rather than saying, oh yeah, I know this passage. Oh yeah, I do this passage. You know, this truth, this command, I do it right all the time. Of course we don't. And then pray about it. Speak to God about the truth in that passage. 
if you don't understand all of it. And, and when you do this, it's because every passage has a slight variance, right? Even if it's about the same subject, it sparks your thinking. And now here you are with God in prayer, who's the teacher. You know, the Holy Spirit can teach you. They say, like, you know, maybe I haven't thought of this about this passage or that. Or now I start thinking about how I failed in this passage in certain ways. What about that? And talk to him about that. It opens up these possibilities. But what Luther's using it for, besides this is a very excellent vehicle for learning Scripture. Even if you're not going to pray after you do this, I highly recommend you do this. Whatever, pick a passage and just, and I say, I I don't have time for that, Pastor. Uh, Today, I timed myself and all Luther is going to tell us, because I've been doing this recently, and I I was like, you know what, I want to tell them how long this could take. Because this after this is the Lord's Prayer, and then after that is your personal prayer. So we've got get your heart straight, pick a passage, meditate on it, confess, thank, pray about that passage, then do the Lord's Prayer, then do your own prayer. I go, oh my God, no wonder he prayed three hours a day. I don't have time for that. I was praying, I'm in my own prayer, and I started praying for you guys. I'm in, I'm in intercession, and then I start thinking to myself, oh, I've been probably at this for 20 minutes. I want to. I wonder how much time, because I wrote down the time when I started. I opened my in Jesus' name, Amen. And when I said in Jesus' name, Amen, I was like, thank you, Father, that for my Lord's sacrifice, I'm here in respect of you, and I'm here to obey you because His name is my name now. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. I thought I was in. The, I thought I was at the throne for thirty. Time goes by faster. Maybe there. There's no time there, right? I, I only tell you that just to tell you that you have plenty of time for this. Why do we think we have no time? Because we're so distracted. We can't shut this off. Can't shut this off. And so we go in there and we're in a rush. And we're like, oh my God, this is taking forever. In Jesus' name, amen. And on to the next thing. And lo and behold, you prayed for two and a half minutes. It's like the, the first few flights of the Wright brothers. I'm listening to the book about them. It is fat. I love it. I love this book. I can't wait to, to listen to it. But I'm almost done with it. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, anyway, I'll tell you about it sometime. There are two minutes in the air. Wilbur Wright in France, first time he publicly displayed the plane. And all the people are there to see it. All the people are there waiting for him to crash because no one believes that they can fly. They've flown. There's been witnesses of it. But they don't have video cameras back then. This is 1908. And there goes Wilbur. Two minutes in the air. And everybody knew that he could have stayed up there for hours if he wanted to because he just flew like a bird. They couldn't believe it. And they couldn't believe it because no one saw a man fly before either. He just went up, he did a turn, he came back, and he landed all nice and gentle. Incredible. 
And later on, like uh, two weeks later, he was up there for like an hour and a half, just kind of flying around, flying around, flying around. Oh, so, so cool. And now, and I'll get distracted with this, not finish my message now, because this jazzes me. These two guys were bicycle shop owners in Dayton, Ohio, and there were other people trying, spending thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, trying to make a plane that would work and these two guys had perseverance and patience and absolute faith that they could do it. Now, their father was a pastor. They didn't turn. They kind of rejected the Christian life, I think. But, um, but they show what Christianity should be on a certain level. Patience, the faith. Is this going to work? You bet it's going to work. Do I look like? Do people believe that it's going to work? No. No, they were flying all over the place in Ohio. They were doing all kinds of stuff. Nobody believed that they could fly, even though they had witnesses. People would come up, people would witness to the reporters and say, "Yeah, I saw them up there for a half an hour flying around." They were like, "Yeah, right." There's no video cameras. Persevere. So now, persevere. All right, good segue. Persevere in this. Because what this does is create in you a habit of focusing on God's Word rather than just going through it. It If you practice this over time, the habit will often insert itself in your everyday life during the day. That you'll have because you focused and thought on a deep level about the Word of God, rather than just, you know, getting it, writing it down and saying, yep, I got that, I got that, point, 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 point. You have focused on it and taken it into yourself and sought its understanding, and this deep thinking will actually turn your heart towards God many times during the day as you have developed this habit You may find uh, many things you hear and see and read spontaneously leading you to praise God, repent, pray to God, whatever. It helps you to habitually put God in every picture, seasoning your feelings and thoughts, lifting you up when you're disappointed, and humbling you when you're successful and pride is sneaking in. Then uh, Luther gives us an example of how he does this. He uses the first command. This is what he focused on. Just in his letter to this person, Exodus 22 and 3, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So Luther says this, quote, Here I earnestly consider that my heart must not build upon anything else or trust in any other thing, be it wealth, prestige, wisdom, might, piety, or anything else. Second, I give thanks for his infinite compassion by which he has come to me in such a fatherly way and unmasked, unbidden, and unmerited has offered to be my God, to care for me, to be my comfort, my guardian, my help, and strength in every time of need. Third, I confess for having fearfully provoked his wrath by countless acts of idolatry, I repent of these and ask for his grace. Fourth, I pray 
Preserve my heart so that I shall never again become forgetful or ungrateful, that I may never seek after other gods or other consolation on earth in any creature, but cling truly and solely to Thee, my only God. How long did that take him? It took me about a minute to read it. It's not a long time. It's, uh, It's what Christ said. Close the door. Shut the world off. Shut your brain off and speak to me. Speak to me about my word. So that's step two, meditation. Then, uh, this is Lutheran stained glass, by the way. That's a church in South Carolina that I'm assuming is a Lutheran church, most likely. Then he says, pray the Lord's Prayer, paraphrasing and personalizing. He suggests that next we should pray through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, paraphrasing and personalizing each one according to our needs and concerns. He gives his own example, but he is adamant that the reader of his essay should not recite the actual words that he uses. <clears throat> and he says, and, I, and this, is, you know, this has been my experience too, that he doesn't speak the prayer the same way the following day. And I don't either. I say, I say the Lord's Prayer every morning. But what I, I I see the six petitions as like six hangers, and I hang my own stuff on it. But I stay true to what the petition is. All right, first our Father, and that means our all of us. I think of the royal family of God. What a blessing the royal family of God is. That's a part of one of the great blessings of God to the earth is a family. And even Jesus said that, right? When his mother and brothers were outside of the crowd and they, and they came in and said, Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. And he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Isn't it you who keep my word? Uh, hang your stuff on that. But it keeps you focused. And especially, you know, with having God at the start, because we want to rush right to what's on our minds about us which it won't take you long to get there, right? Again, just shut this off for a second. Give yourself a few minutes to say, Our Father in heaven, you are holy. Your kingdom is coming and your will will be done someday. I want your will to be done in my life. I would love to see your kingdom in my life, in my home, in my soul. And I know it's not going to happen, but it would be great if it was in my country, at least the, the characteristics of it. And, and that's, not, that's not a wrong thing because when God gave Israel the laws to run the nation, it was based upon the fairness and justice and love and sacrifice and giving uh, that would be in the kingdom of God. But in heaven, or when it's here, it's going to be perfect. But the same rules applied to the nation of Israel, which they failed to do, which our nation is failing to do. So you hang all that on there. And this addresses one of the great difficulties, a very practical difficulty in prayer, is distracting thoughts. The Lord's Prayer keeps us focused. In our own prayers, we're easily led astray to other people and events that pop into our minds as we're seeking God for something or other. Meditation on a passage and then staying in the confines of the Lord's Prayer focuses us to focus on God as our Father, His holiness, His heaven, His kingdom, and His will, and then 
we can get to us. And as I've said before, by the time you get to you, after you have, say you've got this thing in your mind that you want God to address immediately, but then it's Father, our Father in heaven, holy, your name is holy, your kingdom, your will, then you get to you. And your mind is a little different. It's a little more focused, a lot more focused. Right? And remember, when they asked the Lord how to pray, He said, say this. You know, He gave it to us in the way that He wanted us to speak it. But I, I would say, and, and most would agree, that it's, it's not just say it over and over word for word. And I, I love how He said, you won't be heard for your many words. Don't think you'll be heard for your many words. And then he gives this this prayer that is incredibly short. <laughs> and we think, how can this be it? When you start hanging all your stuff on it, you could go on for hours in that prayer. Anyway. Each of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer would apply to hundreds of our own needs and concerns. Hundreds. They've got a problem with a person. Where is it? Is it in that prayer? You bet it is. As we forgive those who sin against us. you got a grudge. There's a solution. What about your own past and your own guilt? That's the first part of that. Forgive us our sins. And our debts. In Matthew, it's our debts. It's our debt against God that we build upon every day. But we are forgiven but it keeps our mind on that. So when we request forgiveness, we're claiming God's grace, knowing that through the cross of Christ we are forgiven, just as an example. And that every day in real time we're adding to our debt that Christ thankfully paid. We cannot therefore forget that we're sinners, forgiven by hundreds or maybe even thousands of sins in a day. And we could never know how many. I don't want to know how many. This also makes us aware of the patterns of sin that we have as well as the sins that we have locked away in our subconscious mind that need to be dealt with in God's light. And why do they need to be dealt with for greater spiritual health? We would rather not deal with them, obviously. But when we bring them to the light, and don't evil hates the light. Darkness hates the light. We bring them into the light by confessing them before God. And we can deal with them in His grace, in His forgiveness, in His mercy. We lock them away in our souls, keep them quiet for Him. You don't have to tell them to others, but they're never dealt with. Forgive our debtors addresses the resentments and grudges that are also robbing us of spiritual health. So we're forced to pray the Lord's Prayer to thank God our Father. Right at the front of it, we have to say, Our Father in heaven, why is He our Father? Thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and His death. And therefore, as a child of God who is a member of His kingdom, 1 Corinthians 1.13, I'm the most blessed person alive. There's a lot of us, though. We're all equally blessed. The riches we have in Christ, what does Paul call them? Unfathomable. The riches in Christ are incredible. And we're scratching around for nonsense. And so even in dark times, 
we have to thank the Lord. You are our Father. What we have in you is far greater. So Paul writes this in Romans 8. He says, The sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not worthy. See, the Lord said, when He taught us to pray, He forced us to think of these things. He's smart. He's a lot smarter than we are. He's definitely, and I don't mean to, uh, I think the people who want to throw this prayer out of the, out of the church are wrong. I think you get that. <laughs> and I think they're wrong. But, and, if they, and I'm not going to argue with them. I, we can agree to disagree. But I think it's a, I think it's a travesty. Then, Luther says, pray for your own heart. Now, this is Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms. Right? First time I ever read about that, I'm like, what? A diet of what? <laughs> and anyway, this is when he's defending himself before the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, and he does a marvelous job. This was a turning point for the Reformation. A diet was their word for an assembly or uh, a parliament. And Worms in German is Worms, and that's the name of the town. And in their language, it didn't mean the slimy things that are in the earth. But the way it comes out in English is hilarious. I'm headed to the Diet of Worms. Don't bring home a doggy bag. All right. Pray to the Father from your own heart. And what I like about Luther here. And again, I'll say it again ad nauseum. You don't have to practice exactly what he's doing. But by the time you can just freely pray to God from your own heart, you have meditated on a passage. You have got, Well, first you've gotten your heart right. Then you meditated on a passage with confession and reflection. Uh, and you've gone through the Lord's Prayer, which is it's correctly right according to His will. If you, you can't hang a selfish prayer anywhere in the Lord's Prayer. You, you can't sneak it in. There's no place for any of that. Right? It, it's <laughs> and once you do that, now when you get to you freely praying, where is your mind going to be? It's not going to be focused on you anymore. I mean, not if you're legitimately doing this with concentration from your own eyes of your heart. Again, seems like a lot. I timed me ten minutes. And then I was, I felt bad. I was like, I only did this for 10 minutes. <laughs> what, old Luther for three hours? What in the hell is he talking about? But, uh, yeah, we have plenty of time for this. And I, I think as we do it, and whatever way you want to fashion this, but I, I, I recommend that whatever you use, I, I think focusing on, meditating on the Word of God is the way to go, but getting your heart focused, using the Lord's Prayer, and then having your own prayer time with God about whatever your personal issues is or issues are, or intercession, definitely don't forget intercession for others in your church and in your family. And for me, thank you. Um, you will learn to love this time with God. The Lord did. There's a time where he's before he feeds the 5,000, he's headed up the mountain to go pray. And then there comes the crowd. And he's like, all the disciples were like, ah. <laughs> and they're like, send him away, Lord. We don't have enough food. Oh, those guys, they didn't know anything yet. <laughs> they would learn. 
But the Lord, he turns and he has compassion on them. Um, yeah, so one last thing. And my last picture for you is Luther's Bible. And see, there's his handwriting in it. This Bible is at the Bible Museum. I saw it with my own eyes uh, in Washington, D.C. He says now, and this, this isn't a fifth step. It's, a, it's something that goes throughout the entire process. Be on the lookout for the Holy Spirit. He is one of the few that addresses this when prayer is written about. And what this is, is, um, again, it's not another step. He says it this way. He says, look out for the Holy Spirit. In other words, if, if you find yourself, while you're in your prayer, in your meditation, and like thoughts are coming to you that are biblical, that are good, that are, you know, wonderful, it's likely I mean, you couldn't measure it with a, some medical device, but the Holy Spirit could be speaking to you. So he puts it this way. An abundance of good thoughts come to us. We ought to, <clears throat> we, uh, sorry, if we are meditating or praying, an abundance of good thoughts come to us. We ought to disregard the other petitions and make room for such thoughts. Listen in silence and no other circumstances obstruct them. And sorry, and under no circumstances obstruct them. The Holy Spirit himself preaches here. The one word of his sermon is better than a thousand of our prayers. Many times I have learned more from one prayer than I have learned from much reading and speculation. Further, he writes, if in the midst of such thoughts, the Holy Spirit begins to preach in your heart with rich, enlightening thoughts, honor him by letting go of this written scheme and remember that he remember what he says and note it well and you will behold wondrous things in the law of God. And then he quotes Psalm 119:18 and I just hit time so I'll just say it for you. It says open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. That's a prayer. Psalm 119's huge psalm, biggest one. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. So Luther has a great teaching here, I think. You know, there's other things that Luther has written, and later on in his life he seemed to get a bit angry and anti-Semitic. He wrote some pretty nasty anti-Semitic things. And I don't know. He, he was persecuted for so many years. I think it, that's my personal opinion. He was heavily persecuted for decades, and I think it took its toll on him. But whatever, I don't know that. Um, but this teaching on prayer I think is great. It's a method that someone used who really found fruit in his prayer life, in his relationship with God. And I think it's some version of it or some way of it, and I, I hope you get something from it. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, preserving your word and giving to us the fruit of those who have gone before us, who have lived with you, who have loved you, who have loved your word, who have striven to please you. And we have their work, Father. We know that if it's not from Scripture, that it's not from you. But we also know that they have loved you and we can learn many things from them. One thing that we must learn, Father, is how to effectively pray to you so that our relationship with you is personal and real. 
and that it's not wooden or uh, superficial, that it's not just in, it's not just intelligence, but it's everything. It's intelligence, it's will, it's emotion, it's desire, and it's great joy. We ask, Father, that your Spirit would bless us through your Word in Christ's name. Amen. Why you had to hide